Hello, knowledge seekers. In this episode of 20 Minute Books, we delve into What the Eyes Don't See, a powerful and inspiring account of the Flint water crisis that shook the nation in 2015. Far more than an environmental scandal, this book interweaves the personal narrative of Dr. Mona Hanna Atisha, the relentless physician and scientist who played a pivotal role in bringing the crisis to light. Her story of immigration from Iraq to America and the continuation of her family's legacy of activism is a poignant backdrop to a tale of community, resilience, and the fight for justice. Authored by Dr. Hannah Atisha herself, who leads the Pediatric Residency Program at Hurley Medical Center and founded the Pediatric Public Health Initiative in Flint. Her credentials are impressive. Celebrated for her unwavering advocacy, she has been recognized by Time 100 and received the Penn America Freedom of Expression Courage Award. This book is a must-read for activists, public servants, and anyone moved by stories of determination and resistance against formidable odds. It's a reminder of the power of individual action in confronting systemic issues. A true fight-the-system narrative that embodies the spirit of perseverance and the importance of being vigilant in protecting our communities. Join us as we explore the courage, the science, and the heart-wrenching journey behind what the eyes don't see. What the Eyes Don't See, a story of crisis, resistance, and hope in an American city. Introduction. The hero behind the headlines, One Doctor's Fight for Flint. When we hear about Flint, Michigan, it's often tied to the haunting images of water taps spewing out brown water, the product of a public health crisis. This moment in time tragically etched the city into the collective memory as a symbol of systematic neglect. But behind the harrowing scenes is a narrative of defiance and commitment, epitomized by a singular figure, Dr. Mona Hanna Atisha. Dr. Mona's roots run deep with a sense of justice as she drew inspiration from her uncle's legacy, who stood against tyranny in Iraq. Her determination to unearth the truth and protect the children of Flint mirrors the conviction her family upheld in a different time and place. Delving into her story, we see the arc of Flint not just through the lens of failure, but also through the eyes of those who dare to make a difference. From prosperity to peril, Flint's transformation. It's hard to reconcile Flint's catastrophic present with its illustrious past as one of America's shining centers of industry. This city, once the bedrock of the automotive boom, finds itself grappling with imprints of racial discord and economic downturns. The stark contrast illuminates how one of the nation's premier towns descended into a battleground of health and politics. Dr. Mona delves into Flint's rich history, drawing a line through time to show how its prime as an industrial giant sowed seeds for systemic issues. The very infrastructure that propelled the city to wealth became its Achilles' heel, as ignored warnings and cost-cutting measures set the stage for disaster. The lingering threat of lead. In a modern era where technology pushes boundaries and knowledge seems to grow exponentially, the persistence of lead as a silent marauder in American life is baffling to many. 
The Flint water crisis pulled back the curtain on a nation still reckoning with the perils of lead poisoning, a threat that stubbornly refuses to fade into history's background noise. Across the decades, the dangers of lead were repeatedly underscored by health professionals, environmentalists, and concerned citizens. Yet it took the catastrophe in Flint and Dr. Mona's courageous efforts, blending science with advocacy, to spotlight a crisis that extends well beyond the city limits. In peeling back the layers of Flint's tragedy, we're forced to confront a broader narrative about health, safety, and the unseen risks that linger in the very walls of our homes. In this portrait of resilience and advocacy, listeners learn not only of a city's struggle, but also of the indomitable spirit of one woman who stood up to safeguard her community. Dr. Mona's story is a testament to the power of dedication and the enduring fight against invisibly dangerous legacies. Through her journey, the true depth of Flint's narrative comes into sharp focus, a convergence of history, health, and heroism. Part 1. Unyielding Spirit. The Legacy of Activism in Dr. Mona's Lineage. In every whisper of Flint's unfolding narrative, there echoes a deeper history of trepidity and tenacity, one that Dr. Mona Hanna Atisha carries in her blood. Born during the cold winters of Sheffield, England, to Iraqi parents in 1976, Mona was cradled not just by loving arms, but by the resilient spirit of her family, an ethos that would later guide her through the murky waters of Flint's water crisis. Baghdad was more than a dot on the map to Mona. It was the heart of her heritage, a city once synonymous with scientific brilliance and cultural richness, the tales of bygone glory days her family recounted contrasted starkly with the oppressive reality that the Ba'ath Party, under the notorious Saddam Hussein, had imposed on their homeland. The fight for justice, Dr. Mona's hereditary torch, the resolve that propelled Dr. Mona to be undaunted in the face of adversity can be traced back to her family's storied past a saga of relentless dissent against despotism. Her ancestors were not merely observers of injustice, they were its adamant adversaries. Her parents opposed the Ba'athist regime, but the standout figures in her lineage were her grandfather Haji and his cousin Nuri, a duo exemplifying unwavering conviction. Haji, whose legend is lovingly woven throughout Mona's familial tapestry, embodied an all-encompassing love for humanity beyond boundaries and creed. A business maven whose ventures ebbed and flowed with fortune showcased undimmed hope when his perfume factory was engulfed in flames. Moved by the unexpected outpouring of support from diverse corners of Baghdad, Haji's despair turned into determination, reminding us that sometimes faith in ourselves is reignited by the faith of others. Nuri, whose hands laid the foundations of anti-fascist fervor in Iraq, became a beacon of the struggle against tyranny. After establishing the association against imperialism and fascism and facing exile, his odyssey took him to the heart of early French resistance and later to the combat lines of the Spanish Civil War. Although his life was marred by persecution, his narrative is not one of defeat. It is a chronicle of courage an inheritance Dr. Mona would honor in her crusade for Flint. Dr. Mona grew up nestled in these stories, nourished by a lineage where each chapter brimmed with defiance and dignity. 
As we listen to the story of Flint, we also celebrate a family saga, an ancestral baton passed through generations, now carried by Dr. Mona with unwavering purpose. In her mission, we find not just the lessons of her forebears, but the very essence of what it means to rise, resist, and restore. Part 2. The Twin Tales of Resilience Dr. Mona's Love for Flint Dr. Mona Hannah Atisha's journey from an overseas childhood to the suburban comforts of Detroit was marked by a nurturing environment, thanks to her father's steady employment with General Motors. This familial stability, however, stood in contrast to the tumult that many faced in the automotive industry during the 1980s and 90s. Against this backdrop, Dr. Mona's own path took a significant turn as she ventured into Flint for her medical training, a city that, like her family, was steeped in a history of resistance, the enduring spirit of a city united. Flint boasts a storied alliance with the Wheels of Progress, its origins hearkening back to the establishment of the Durant-Dort Carriage Company, which later birthed the gargantuan Buick Car Factory. This flourishing hub sculpted Flint into a vibrant manufacturing nexus. Yet, beneath the surface of industrial success, a battle for workers' rights simmered. As the 20th century dawned, while GM executives reveled in affluence, their workers grappled with back-breaking conditions. During this era, the absence of fundamental protections like workers' compensation meant a life precariously perched on the edge of destitution for the laborers. The risk of injury, coupled with the fear of financial ruin, hung heavy over the factory floors. In defiance of oppression, Flint's GM workers staged an audacious sit-down strike, transforming the Fisher Body Plant No. 1 into their bastion of protest on a frigid December day in 1936. Their insurrection faced ruthless responses, starvation attempts, icy blasts from hoses, and yet the workers' solidarity held firm. Their shrewd tactics even allowed for an expansion of their territory to another factory. The legendary standoff, spanning 44 days, ended only with the hand of President Franklin Roosevelt tipping the scales. With it came recognition for the United Auto Workers Union and, at long last, the promise of equitable wages and the safeguard of workers' compensation. This moment in time, the strike heard around the world, forever etched in Flint's legacy, mirrored the courage and tenacity evident in Dr. Mona's ancestry. Dr. Mona's affinity for Flint was more than circumstance. It was a recognition of kindred spirits, of a city and a family that refused to bow before adversity of shared histories etched in defiance and the pursuit of justice. In each corner of Flint, she found echoes of her family's stories, and in its people, she saw the shadow of Haji's generosity and Nuri's inexhaustible will to battle against the odds. What drew her to stay was not simply the chance to practice medicine, but the opportunity to stand with a city that personified the transformative power of communal determination and grit. Part 3. Flint's Struggle with Inequality The City's History of Racial Injustice In the wake of the Great Migration, Flint stood as a beacon for African-American families seeking refuge from the suffocating grip of the Jim Crow South. The promise of industrial jobs lured many to the North, hoping to partake in the burgeoning middle class. However, 
the reality that awaited them in Flint was a harsh divergence from their aspirations. The grim face of systemic racism, from housing discrimination to prejudiced lending practices, the post-Thau, World War II. American Dream remained just out of reach for many of Flint's black residents. The racial segregation implemented by institutions and supported by corporations like GM laid the groundwork for enduring hardships. The city was marred by areas designated for black families, zones that were not only heavy with industrial pollution, but also marked by substandard housing. Flint became a microcosm of a nation grappling with deeply entrenched racism, resistance, riots, and the road toward change. Attempts to dissolve the racial barriers in neighborhoods and schools were met with vitriolic opposition campaigns steeped in bigotry. The battle for equality was a slow and tumultuous one, exploding into violence with the riots of 1967 in both Flint and Detroit, the result of unrelenting racial tension in education, housing, policing, and employment fronts. The passage of Fair Housing Acts in 1968 was a watershed, albeit one that inadvertently accelerated white flight, spurred on by the malicious real estate practice known as blockbusting. Flint's racially charged landscape was further disrupted in the 1980s by the auto world debacle, a failed attempt to revitalize the city with an amusement park that contributed nothing but loss and disappointment. A city at a crossroads, Flint's journey was marred by deep cuts from the blade of structural racism and further ravaged by the economic turmoil of a crumbling industrial empire. The city's plight epitomized the challenges that many American cities faced in the post-industrial era. As factories closed and economic prospects dwindled, Flint's residents were left to navigate the ruins of a city built on broken promises and divided by racial lines. In such a city, despair could have reigned supreme, but it didn't account for the resilience that resided within its people. Against a backdrop of historical injustice and economic collapse, solidarity found its way, ready to be harnessed by those like Dr. Mona, who understood the fierce spirit of Flint. As we explore the layers of Flint's story, we begin to appreciate the depths from which the city must emerge, fostered by the same spirit of activism and resilience that is synonymous with Dr. Mona's family's legacy. Part 4. Flint's Water Crisis a cost-cutting decision with dire consequences. In a bid to remedy its financial woes, Flint found itself at the mercy of an emergency manager, EM, installed under a controversial Michigan provision. The power of local democracy waned as this appointed official, tasked with reducing expenditures at all costs, took the helm. Accountability became a casualty as the EM answered only to the governor, not the citizens whose lives would be impacted by cost-cutting strategies. The critical switch with devastating fallout. The year 2014 marked a pivotal moment for Flint as it embarked on a decision that would alter the course of the city's health and well-being. The move to draw water from the Flint River, an artery once tainted by industrial toxins, aimed to alleviate financial strain by foregoing the costs associated with accessing water from Lake Huron through Detroit's utilities. However, water is a resource that demands respect, and certain measures are non-negotiable to ensure its safety. One such measure is preventing the water from being corrosive 
to avoid the leaching of hazardous materials like lead from pipes into the supply. Methods to test and counteract corrosivity are well established, yet in Flint's case there was a failure to implement them appropriately. An alarming oversight ignored, engulfed in controversy, Flint's EM-driven initiative suffered a blatant neglect of safety protocols. Alarmingly, just half a year after the crucial switch, General Motors noticed corrosion on its parts caused by the new water source, swiftly rallying officials to revert to Lake Huron water for its operations. This glaring warning, signifying potential perils awaiting the citizens of Flint, was seemingly overlooked by those at the helm of governance. Unequivocally, it suggested that corrosive water shuffling through old pipes would ferry lead and other dangerous particulates into the homes of unsuspecting residents. In this tale of a city besieged by austerity and governance gone awry, Dr. Mona's role would become paramount. As Flint's saga unfolded, the echoes of her family's resilience and the city's fight against injustice would merge into her relentless quest for answers and accountability, underpinning a steadfast commitment to safeguarding a community in the face of systemic failure. Part 5 the haunting specter of lead, a toxin with no safe level, deeply embedded in the annals of public health is an indisputable menace, lead, a metal that jeopardizes health in profound and insidious ways. It's a hazard that has cast a long shadow throughout history, with its nefarious impact widely recognized yet disturbingly underestimated in the face of economic interests. Leeds' insidious threat reveals no immediate crisis but unfolds in silence. On the continuum of human health hazards, lead occupies a particularly devious niche. Its pernicious effects creep in unseen, manifesting in symptoms that camouflage among common maladies. Yet, its true menace strikes at the core of physiological and cognitive development, particularly relentless in its assault on the youngest among us. Infants mixing their formula with lead-contaminated water ingest a foe that silently derails the trajectory of their growth, laying the foundations for irreversible harm. Lead navigates through the bloodstream, insidiously usurping the roles of essential elements and sowing the seeds of dysfunction that range from neurodevelopmental delays to fatal systemic collapse, a century of cautions overshadowed by profit. For decades, even centuries, scholars and physicians have warned of the dangers of lead exposure, its connection to neurological impairments and its potential to sow the roots of aggression are not novel revelations. As early as 1904, the perils of lead additives in paint were acknowledged, prompting swift regulatory responses across much of the industrialized world except in the United States. One would expect that with such knowledge, precaution would steer decision-making. Yet in the U.S., Economic calculations often overrode concerns of public safety. General Motors, a titan of industry, championed the use of tetraethyl lead, TEL, in fuel, favoring its commercial potential over the well-documented risks it posed. The toll of TEL was stark. Workers faced with its production succumbed to its toxicity, enduring debilitating and sometimes lethal consequences. Alternative substances like ethanol which lacked TEL's toxicity, were sidelined, their inability to be patented dulling their appeal in the eyes of corporations fixated on profit margins. As the Flint water crisis unfolded, 
these historical echoes of Led's toxic legacy resurfaced, reframing the narrative in light of past lessons ignored. Dr. Mona's resolve to confront this silent enemy became emblematic of a broader struggle. Against the invisibility of a toxin pervasive in our environment and the vested interests that obscured its dangers. The plight of Flint underscored a timeless maxim. When it comes to lead, there is no threshold for harmlessness, and the cost of inaction is etched in the very fabric of human lives. Part 6 Guardians of Growth The Unseen Perils Facing Children's Health. Dr. Mona Hanna Atisha's rekindling with the struggling city of Flint, from her childhood memories of Autoworld, to her role as director of the Hurley Medical Center's pediatric residency program was far from incidental. It was her deep-seated passion for helping those in need that led her to this place where resilience had long been a survival mechanism. Among Flint's populace, it was the city's children, largely unseen yet profoundly affected, who captivated and called forth her advocacy. A mission to reveal the invisible threats, an essential truth guides pediatric care. Safeguarding children's futures means confronting the unseen hazards that silently contour their destinies. Children with their developing minds and bodies are uniquely susceptible to their environments, and the impacts of such exposures can reverberate well into adulthood. The unseen factors determining well-being. Often the most pivotal influences on a child's health lurk out of sight. Once categorized as social determinants of health, now widely acknowledged as adverse childhood experiences or ACEs, these invisible traumas hold sway over a child's lifetime health trajectory. Exposure to such toxic stresses can presage a litany of ailments, both physical and psychological, and can truncate life expectancy by as much as two decades. Yet the science of healing brings hope. Neuroscience illuminates the stunning malleability of young brains revealing that curated, nurturing, and resilience building can mitigate damage and foster recovery. This knowledge underpins a holistic approach to pediatric care that transcends the physiological and plums, the depths of the societal and environmental, the imperative to know in order to see, to truly safeguard a child's well-being. It's not enough for medical professionals to keenly diagnose and treat disease. They must delve into the conditions of existence that befall their young patients to understand the fabric of communities and the nuances of diverse experiences. In forging a link between neural connections and environmental influences, Dr. Mona hails the ethos penned by D.H. Lawrence, the eyes don't see what the mind doesn't know. With this perspective, pediatricians don't simply treat illnesses, they become sentinels, ever vigilant for the intangible stressors that so profoundly shape the health and happiness of children. Through this lens, Dr. Mona's journey in Flint becomes a clarion call for awareness, a testament to the power of an informed mind to unveil the invisible adversaries that children face. This mission impels us to understand, not only with our minds but with our hearts, the silent struggles that define too many childhoods and to act with the wisdom that comes from truly knowing. Part 7. Alarming Revelations The Alarming Discovery of Flint's Lead Levels It was a tranquil summer barbecue that altered the trajectory of Mona Hanna Atisha's life. In the company of close acquaintances, a casual conversation with her friend Elin 
catalyzed a quest that would unveil a deeply entrenched public health calamity. Elin, drawing on her work with a Washington, D.C.-based think tank, brought to light concerns about Flint's water quality that had been subdued amidst official reassurances from state agencies. A whistleblower's memo uncovers a hidden danger. The unsettling news that Elin conveyed to Mona stemmed from an internal EPA memo, surreptitiously released, revealing alarmingly high lead levels in Flint's water supply. The memo was an urgent red flag, penned by Miguel del Toral, an EPA official, prompting Mona to draw parallels between Flint's situation and a similar debacle experienced by the nation's capital. The haunting shadow of DC's lead contaminated water between 2000 and 2004 and the subsequent government cover up stood as a stark premonition for Flint. The meticulous efforts to suppress the problem through data tampering in DC offered a chilling context for what might unfold in Flint, a struggle likely to stretch across long, arduous years. Blood tests expose a grim truth. Prompted by the memo and her conversation with Elin, Dr. Mona embarked on an investigation, scrutinizing blood lead levels in Flint's children. What the tests revealed was a grim affirmation of the catastrophic lapse in safeguarding the city's youth. A worrying 7% surge in children with high lead levels post the water source switch made it unequivocally clear Flint's youngest residents were in jeopardy. Coming to terms with the stark evidence, Dr. Mona grappled with the weight of her prior assurances to Flint parents, affirming that tap water was safe. The egregious oversight by the officials entrusted with protecting the public was not just a failure, it was a betrayal. With the initial findings derived from a constrained sample at the clinic, Dr. Mona knew that a broader data set was imperative to grasp the full extent of the damage. Driven by the conviction instilled by her family's legacy of activism and Flint's own historical resilience, she plunged into action, determined to widen the net of data and shine a light on the magnitude of Flint's water crisis. In Dr. Mona's hands, the fight for Flint transformed into a mission that bore the weight of not only Flint's present, but also its future generations. As Leeds' hidden hazard emerged from the shadows, a tireless advocate for the children of Flint stood ready to confront the unseen enemy. Part 8. Uniting in Purpose Dr. Mona's Collaboration with Mark Edwards Haunted by the looming crisis, Dr. Mona found herself consumed by the dire situation enveloping Flint. The water problem was not just an abstract issue. It threatened the daily lives of families, especially those without means to resort to alternatives like bottled water. The urgency of the crisis eclipsed all else, pressing upon her the need to act decisively. It was this sense of ceaseless concern that steered her toward reaching out to Mark Edwards an expert with an imposing reputation in the realm of environmental engineering, a partnership forged under the shadow of crisis. Mark Edwards was not your average academic quietly cocooned in university walls. Recognized by the MacArthur Foundation for his relentless pursuit of clean water as an inalienable right, Mark stood a divisive figure primarily due to his unwavering combativeness during Washington, D.C.'s own lead ordeal. This was a man who held fast against the tide, earning both allies and adversaries in high places. 
Dr. Mona knew that collaboration with Mark carried risks, owing to the contentious aftermath of his previous battles. But when expertise of his caliber beckoned, the gamble seemed necessary, a step toward turning the tides of uncertainty into definitive action, a meeting of minds, a confirmation of trust. The apprehension of engaging with Mark melted away when Dr. Mona and he met. Here was a man whose external battles left scars, yet the steadfast commitment to justice remained unyielding. It took but one meeting for Mark to extend his trust, an offering not given lightly in a realm fraught with resistance. Mark's input was pivotal as Dr. Mona marshaled her data into a report potent enough to break through government complacency. She accounted for his insights, such as the seasonal variances in lead solubility, ensuring the indisputability of her findings. With Mark's assurance reinforcing her study, Dr. Mona, alongside her research coordinator, Jenny Lachance, crafted a document irrefutable in its evidence of the rising lead poisoning cases among Flint's children post-water switch. The collaboration between Dr. Mona and Mark embodied a unity of purpose, a confluence of passion and expertise that would anchor the fight for Flint's future, a relentless charge against the specter of a contaminated lifeblood. Part 9, The Aftermath of Truth, Facing Resistance, Post-Revelation The air was heavy with expectation and anxiety as Dr. Mona Hanna Atisha stepped up to reveal her momentous findings to the world. The press conference on September 24, 2015, was the culmination of intensive research and an unwavering commitment to the children of Flint. However, the immediate response from authorities sought to dismiss the research as a misinterpretation of normal seasonal variations in lead level, a rebuttal that struck Mona with disbelief, a glimmer of support amidst the storm. Despite the chilling denial from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services, Mona found an ally in Michigan Senator Jim Ananich, who lent his voice to reinforce the gravity of her findings. Mona's poignant closure at the press conference, brandishing a baby bottle, underscored the very real and human stakes at the heart of this crisis, the crushing weight of backlash. The brief surge of euphoria Mona felt as she departed the conference soon gave way to the stark reality of confrontation. Her report was a threat to the status quo, a ripple in the political waters some wished to smooth over rapidly. Engaging with Flint's mayor had proved fruitless, political prudence overriding civic responsibility. But it was the hostility from the Michigan Department of Environmental Quality that gnawed at her. Accusations that Mona had manipulated data to exaggerate the problem were not only professionally offensive, but personally harrowing. The allegation undermined her work and endangered public trust in a time of crisis. State officials stood adamant, disavowing structural issues in Flint's water system, pinning blame on individual household plumbing, and asserting the safety of the city's water. This campaign of contradiction reached the governor's office, ratcheting up efforts to undermine Mona's credibility. As the media sought her reaction to this tide of denial, Mona could but affirm the integrity of her work, yet the public pushback, the cold shadow of doubt cast by those in power, would not dissipate. Exhausted and besieged by the enormity of her struggle, Dr. Mona retreated to a solitary corner, 
wrestling with the thought of how long this battle for public health, and for truth, would endure. Part 10. Bridging the Data Divide. A Turning Point in Flint's Water Crisis. In the aftermath of chaos, there often comes a pivotal moment of clarity, one that Dr. Mona Hanna Atisha experienced awakening the day after her tumultuous press conference. Despite the shadows cast by the state's denunciation, her conviction in the veracity of her research was unshaken. She was fueled not by personal vindication, but by an unwavering dedication to ensuring the health and safety of Flint's most vulnerable inhabitants. A shift in public perception and support. The tide began to shift as Dr. Mona's voice radiated through the airwaves and print media. Her message of urgency was gaining traction, casting an illuminating spotlight on the gravity of the situation. This momentum was bolstered when local media, notably the Detroit Free Press, published stories affirming her findings, and the community of Flint slowly began to awaken to the immediacy of the crisis. Cracks emerge in the state's stance. Amid the burgeoning support, the hermetic seal of the state's narrative started to fracture. A report published by state authorities intended to dismiss the rise in lead poisoning inadvertently corroborated Dr. Mona's observations. The Detroit Free Press astutely highlighted discrepancies within the state's own data, noting the upward trend of lead exposure in children coinciding precisely with Flint's switch in water sources an unexpected alliance amidst adversity. It was within this crescendoing controversy that Eden Wells, Michigan's newly minted chief medical officer, reached out to Dr. Mona. The call, intended to address the water controversy, signaled a departure from the earlier denials and set the stage for a candid dialogue. Dr. Mona, cautious yet hopeful, provided insights into the scientific foundation of her study, paving the way for what would become a crucial turning point, the fruits of transparency and accountability. As the layers of the crisis unfolded through subsequent Freedom of Information Act requests, it was unveiled that Eden Wells, despite being charged with the task of undermining Dr. Mona, instead chose to support the integrity of the scientific findings. Her backing shifted the narrative in a significant way, pushing the state to take Dr. Mona's research and the health implications for Flint's population with the seriousness they deserved. This confluence of advocacy, media scrutiny, and internal support within the state health department exemplified the power of collaborative truth-seeking over the isolation of dissonance. Dr. Mona's relentless persistence and Eden's ethical stand marked the advent of tangible progress, a beacon of hope that meaningful action could be mobilized to address Flint's burgeoning health disaster. Part 11. From Concession to Action, Flint's Path to Recovery. The 1st of October in 2015 marked a reluctant turning point as Michigan state officials publicly acknowledged the calamity that Dr. Mona Hanna Atisha had tirelessly spotlighted, the tainted water of Flint. At a press briefing, MDEQ's Dan Wyant offered vague contours of a 10-point restitution plan, which left much to be desired in terms of specificity and assurance. 
Despite Wyant's persisted assertions to the contrary, the Genesee County Health Department stepped forward to declare a true public health emergency. With this pronouncement, tangible steps to mitigate Flint's water tragedy, like the distribution of filters to residents, began to take shape, evolving from admission to action. The sustained advocacy from Dr. Mona and her unflagging insistence on reverting to the safe waters of Lake Huron bore fruit. Activist demonstrations and charitable interventions broke through the bureaucratic impasse, transforming the impossible into reality. On October 8th, the governor concurred with the demands to switch back Flint's water source, a validated fight and national awareness. The broader scientific community validated Dr. Mona's initial findings with a comprehensive, peer-reviewed study affirming the troubling spike in lead exposure among Flint's youngest. This credence, along with intensifying media coverage and national concern, prompted President Obama to declare a federal emergency in January 2016, ushering in critical aid for the beleaguered city. A holistic future. The implementation of Mona's plan. In the wake of federal involvement, Dr. Mona's influence continued to crescendo. Her partnership with Michigan State University and Hurley Medical Center crystallized into an actionable public health program, setting Flint on a course toward recovery and resilience. Legislative pockets began to align with this vision, channeling over $100 million for the well-being of the city's most vulnerable, the children. This strategic infusion of funds was not merely a financial commitment, but a pledge to the future of Flint. With Dr. Mona's program in place, those affected by lead poisoning would receive vigilant health monitoring and support essential for their physical and psychological restoration. The road ahead for Flint was one of healing and rejuvenation, with a particular lens focused on the development and health of its children. Dr. Mona's unwavering vision for a restored Flint, where the growth and prosperity of its younger generation take precedence, was now set into motion an enduring testament to the might of steadfast advocacy and the transformative power of hope. Part 12. The Revealing Aftermath. Unearthing the Roots of Flint's Water Crisis. As the dust seemingly settled on Flint's water emergency, revelations from relentless Freedom of Information Act requests illuminated the disturbing undercurrents that had long coursed beneath. These insights painted a vivid picture of how systemic issues like environmental racism had not just imperiled the health of Flint's residents, but had also eroded the trust between communities and governing bodies, challenging complacency, promoting transparency. While the switch back to Lake Huron water was a hard-won victory, it was clear that the dynamics which allowed Flint's crisis to unfold were deeply entrenched. Documents uncovered through the dogged efforts of Mark Edwards shed light on a culture of bureaucratic deflection, where state officials seemed more preoccupied with optics than actionable solutions, pushing narratives that downplayed the severity of lead contamination and advocating for the manipulation of evidence. A federal perspective on environmental inequity. Complicity stretched beyond state lines, as evidenced by the EPA's internal reluctance to extend a helping hand to Flint. The hesitation expressed by a senior EPA official 
about committing federal resources to the city's plight casts a somber reflection on the value assigned to different communities in moments of crisis, confronting systemic failures and institutional racism. The Flint Water Task Force report, prepared by the governor's appointed Five Guys Committee, marked a watershed in governmental accountability. Spanning 112 pages, it pulled no punches in linking the crisis to the draconian emergency manager law, pinpointing the collective failures of state departments and the governor's office, and, crucially, identifying a dereliction of democratic principles. But beyond political and administrative culpability, the report dared to acknowledge the role of racism as an integral component of the debacle. A governmental admission of such forthrightness was unparalleled. This sentiment was echoed in a subsequent investigation by Michigan's own Department of Civil Rights, fueling a profound societal introspection about whether Flint, had it been predominantly white, would have faced such a catastrophe. The imperative for sustained vigilance and action. These insights thrust into the foreground an urgent query. How can such travesties be prevented in the future? Dr. Mona Hanna Atisha finds her answer by embracing dual legacies, that of a staunch adversary to socio-environmental injustices and that of a pioneer leveraging the precision of science to initiate change. These are the archetypes that history cherishes, the changemakers whose influence transcends time. As Flint's story continues to unfold, it becomes apparent that progress, however significant, is but a segment of a longer journey toward justice and equality. The call to action resonates just as strongly today. As a community, as a nation, there is a collective duty to harness this momentum, ensuring that relentless activism and informed science remain our steadfast allies in upholding the right to clean water and preserving the health of all communities. Final Summary The story of Flint, Michigan, is a harrowing tale of neglect and resilience, of a community's struggle and the unwavering pursuit of accountability. In 2014, an ill-fated attempt to cut costs led to a catastrophic switch in Flint's water source from the pristine Lake Huron to the corrosive waters of the Flint River. This decision precipitated an unprecedented public health crisis as lead leached from aging pipes into the life-sustaining water supply of the city's residents. The true potency of Flint's plight was laid bare by individuals like Dr. Monahana Atisha, whose dedication to her community prompted a relentless drive to expose the truth. Despite facing formidable opposition from public officials intent on discrediting her findings, Dr. Mona's scientific integrity and advocacy eventually shifted the narrative, compelling officials to acknowledge the unfolding disaster. Investigations into the crisis unearthed uncomfortable realities about the intersections of policy, race, and democracy. The emergency manager law, which effectively sidelined elected governance in favor of austere fiscal management, allowed the crisis to take root, revealing an underlying disregard for the predominantly minority population of Flint. These insights underscore the systemic challenges of environmental justice and spotlight the risks associated with marginalizing communities. Throughout its ordeal, however, Flint's tenacity has shone through. The city's legacy, one steeped in industrial prowess and civil rights activism, now includes a response to adversity 
that will inform and inspire generations. The battle for Flint is far from over. Ongoing vigilance is essential to prevent such injustices in the future. But the story woven through Flint, a testament to a community's indomitable spirit, serves as a powerful reminder that even in the depths of crisis, the seeds of transformative change can be sown. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought-provoking book in our growing library of knowledge. If you've enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to follow our podcast, give us a five-star rating, and share 20-minute books with other knowledge seekers. Your support truly means a lot. Don't forget to join me again in the next episode, where we will delve into another enriching book. Until then, happy reading and happy listening.